2: This Money starts right now, live from the Nasdaq market Site, overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najari and Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, if you love Bitcoin, this is the show for you. First, we are talking to Wall Street's new crypto king. Bart Smith of Susquehanna, the first major financial institution to open a Bitcoin trading group. And later, we are sitting down with Brett Redfern from the SEC. This is the man who will set the tone and tenor for the future of crypto regulations on Wall Street. These are two interviews you will not want to miss. Plus, Elon Musk winning back the heart of its investors, at least for today. Tesla posting its best day in more than two years after the CEO described what's been a hellish few months for the company. We'll bring you all the details. But first, we start off with the markets. A Dow surging more than 340 points today, the Nasdaq closing at a record, and for a change, the financials finally joining the party, surging nearly 2%. So was the bank breakout the missing ingredient that could take the market to new heights? Pete?
3: Well, it certainly helped. I mean, we've watched the, how the banks have traded with the 10-year, and that's been almost directly connected, and I pointed out something earlier today. I'll say it again. J.P. Morgan, and you look at the 10-year, they are identical over the last month. So You finally start to see we were down to 277. Now here we are back once again, pushing towards 3, and all of a sudden you look at J.P. Morgan, and it was down to 107, and all of a sudden it starts pushing it back again. Financials are directly correlated to that. If we can have... Not a violent move to the upside, I think, in the 10-year, but a nice, grinding move to the upside. The financials can absolutely start to move and actually move with the markets,
0: I think, to the upside, along with technology. Look, anybody who's been playing financials for the last 15 to 20 years knows that banks can rally in an inverted yield curve. And if you look back where we were in 2006 through eight, um, you also had a dynamic where I thought you, know, you, you saw banks have major outperformance. Also, the people that tell you that that, that banks have totally lagged this market, look, since the election, banks have outperformed the S&P by about 12%. In the last... 15 months, banks are essentially in line with the S&P. So to say that we're, we're doing this without banks or we can't do this until banks get involved, banks have been here. Banks, as Pete pointed out, are trading in a sympathy to what's going on with, with, with the yield curve. And I don't think that that's totally but, justified. But,
4: but let's talk about the yield curve for a second. You know, when you think about this, you know, so the 10 years are on its way back to 3%, but the spread between the twos and tens is still at a really tight a 42, level, right? Yes. Yeah. So, so to me, when you think about what's the bull case for them right now, okay, so we had some deregulation, right? That's kind of great. Um, you know, What's going on in Europe, I think, is obviously weighing on it a little bit. I know some people will make the case that if Deutsche Bank were to have some real serious problems, that it may benefit some U.S. banks. But if you think about net interest margins, you think about where the two-year is, you think about what our course for short-term rates are in 2018, and then you think about where the 10-year is, it's really reflecting a case that maybe that global synchronized growth thing is not there. And then if you can't put the net interest margins piece in there, if capital market activity is not going to be particularly fantastic— But, Dan, you act like bank— no, but I'm just saying. So you say to yourself, maybe there's a reason why the XLF is down eight percent from its from its high. I think people are
0: oversimplifying this relationship. The central bank is hiking. Okay, yep. the banks are more profitable when LIBOR moves higher, when the discount rate moves higher, when Fed funds move higher. You pick it; they're making more money. A lot of LIBOR books, a lot of home home equity loans, a lot of consumer, a lot of auto revolving loans. These guys are all moving higher. Banks are making more money there. If the economy is as strong as we think, uh, the loan book, the commercial loan book, which has been under some pressure over the last couple of quarters, is making more money. And look at sales and trading and investment banking. These are businesses that actually have benefited from volatility and I think are on the upswing.
2: Nobody's mentioned CCAR. CCAR results come in at the end Capital of Capital return. Exactly. Yeah. Capital return. It's another big thing. in the picture? Has that been factored in Well, yet?
5: the fact that we didn't talk about it, maybe it's not been factored in. And maybe that will be one more catalyst to the upside. And one of the things that we've said for a long time All the metrics we can throw around, in my opinion, the most important metric is price-to-book value, and we've talked about that. And again, in 07, when banks were flying, a lot of these banks were two and a half, three times book, which was clearly too rich, but they were clearly too cheap when they traded a discount to book. So the question is, again, in my opinion, what is the right multiple in this environment, price-to-book? I think it's somewhere around 1.8. For example, J.P. Morgan last uh, book value, 68 bucks gets you $122 stock, which, by the way, it's pretty close to. But JP Morgan's book value has gone up each quarter for the last four or five. Goldman Sachs is the one to me that's lagged and given their book value at I think $181, $186, you're talking about $325 stock. If
4: Goldman Sachs is the firm that's going to benefit most from, if you think about from rolling back regulations, that sort of thing, why is this stock down 15% since mid-March? Why is it? I don't think they're the one that benefits
0: the most. What's that? I don't think they're the one that benefits the most. I think it's Citibank and Bank of America. I mean, those are the ones that really, especially some of the core businesses, those are the ones that have been getting pushed around. It's not not Goldman Sachs. A
4: return on capital, I think they have the most leverage compared to the big money set of banks. I
0: I think Goldman Sachs, look, when when you got... Uh, Wall Street knocked around and the amount of, I think, Car in terms of what capital these guys had to have, minimum capital requirements, it put a lot of pressure on banks that levered up their balance sheets and banks that kept a highly leveraged derivative book, et cetera. I think that's really where Goldman was hurt. I think that's where they're forced to change their model. Um, I think it's a different day. They're getting into consumer banking, consumer finance, and things that are probably more stable businesses. But, again, the banks you buy when... Deregulation is right there, city and it's Bank the of lending America. banks, the, banks. Yeah. The, the money banks. banks. Money yeah, banks. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely,
3: and I think the one thing I, you'd have to acknowledge about Goldman Sachs is okay. Let's just say they have not made the full transition yet, and they are basically still a big, huge hedge fund. Think about that. Where's volatility? The last five days, it's down thirty percent. Everybody talked about how volatility is here to stay. We have these spikes, but as I've tried to point out time and time again, you get over a sixteen volatility. Sixteen is one percent move a day. It is very difficult to hold on to that for the S&P to move every single day 1%. It hasn't been happening. And so
4: what do we see? Volatility was at 17. Now here we are in the 11th. But, guys, what if we're looking at this all wrong? What if we're saying that the NASDAQ, these top five, six names are the things that have kind of gotten us back to having this conversation about breakouts and the Russell? You know, know, so we have the pieces in place, but we don't have one of the most economically sensitive groups participating right now in the market. So when you talk about all this, if the market's a discounting mechanism, it's telling you Citigroup is down 20% from its highs earlier in the year. What is it telling you? So if everyone's flocking to, flocking to the safety trade, which is Amazon, you know, the FANG trade, or whatever, what are the banks telling you? What is the fact that all these other interest rate-sensitive stocks groups we have utilities can't get off. We have uh, home builders that can't get out of own way. The autos, until we have some sort of, like, new tech sort of thing, GM and Ford can't rally. You know what I'm saying? So but, what is it saying to you guys? But at
2: this point in time, I mean, are we setting up for financials? First of all, it could be the last ingredient, right, needed to, yeah. to sustain this sort yes. of rally. We have the technology, as you pointed out. Maybe it's financials next. But in terms of catalysts, in the future, we've got a Fed meeting. We're, we're going to see the Fed raise interest rates, rates through the end of the year. We've got CCAR results at the end. And we are in a market that is looking for returns here. So, why should, I mean, the bull case is right there. The bull case. So,
5: to answer Dan's question, I'm not shirking yours. I think maybe one of the things that banks are concerned about, and we talked about it last night, we've talked about it for a while, is there systemic risk with some of these European banks? I have no idea, but maybe the underperformance is the market maybe discounting the fact that maybe it's out there and maybe that's a concern. I don't know. I, but I will say quickly Citibank does concern me, though. I mean, you're talking about a bank. That still trading below book value and a slight p- premium to tangible book. I think Dan makes a fair point. Bringing up city because clearly it's underperformed. I can't tell you the you reason. You own it,
0: right? Look, I own Citibank, I own Bank of America, I own J.P. Morgan, and I think the money center banks the way to go. And I completely disagree that banks have underperformed and they haven't been part of this rally. Yes, since the since the markets peaked on Jan. 26th, banks are down five and a half percent to the S&P. But as I said, go back 15 months. You can do this easily at home, folks. Basically, graph the XLF against the SPY ETFs, and you're going to see that the S&P has not outperformed banks during a 15-month rally, which is what we we're all talking about. This entire market has been on a tear since elections, but certainly in the last 15 months. There have been periods where banks have outperformed when we've seen a kick-up in interest rates. Bottom line is the Fed is good for banks. J.P. Morgan's consumer book at the end of the first quarter, they cited it. It's stronger, and the bottom line is a but 4% economy. it's not economy. good for banks it, right it, now. It, it, so that's what I'm saying. It's not good
4: for the bank stocks. So, they so had record missed. earnings in the first
0: quarter. What is bad and, about and that? And we all
4: know that they're going to be able to return more capital to shareholders when CCAR comes out. And so why aren't we kind of running up in, ahead of that, technology? I think what
3: you're seeing right now, to Tim's I, point, is... Year-to-date,
4: if you just put it in the box of year-to-date, yes,
3: underperformance. There's absolutely no yeah. doubt. You go back a little further in the absolute outperformance, isn't it an opportunity yes. for the pause? I mean, we see this all the time. We, saw it, we talk about it all the time. You're never going to see anything go in a straight line. Financials are a great example of that. In 17, they pretty much went on a straight line. Stop. they have paused, and here we are now, and they are lagging the rest of the market. And it seems as if everybody wants to be in nothing but tech. And by the way, it's much broader than the top five. I, I realize the top five is what everybody always focuses on because of what their market caps are. But take a look at Salesforce. Take a look at Red Hat. Take a look at yeah, these are massive
4: stocks. I they're understand hundred-plus billion-dollar market cap stocks. So yep. you're talking about Adobe. These were stocks we were yes. talking about three years ago. They were thirty billion dollars. You know they're up two hundred percent. So what I'm saying is you're talking about a dozen two dozen massive stocks that were not massive stocks two years ago. So they are dragging up everything. They
3: are pulling up everything. And why is that? Because they have the great fundamental story behind them. And then look at the strength of the consumer. I mean, all you've got to do is look at Target. Take a look at Target. Take a look at Nike. Take a look at Moody. lottery right now? I have a
2: question, though. <laughs> I like had I have questions. a question. Go ahead, May Matt. I ask a question, yeah, please? Well, you run I like the show. how you raise your yeah, hand. You. Nice. Thank Very you. Very polite. Uh, would you rather? Oh, I love this game.
5: <laughs> do you understand Bye. it? <laughs> would you rather? I mean, she gives you a choice. I'll give a give clean car? I would and rather you let right. her ask yeah. the Sorry. question.
2: Technology or financials right here, right now?
5: Technology or financials right here, technology still. still. What's, what's my time still.
2: horizon? I have
0: yeah. to ask another question. What's my time horizon? Right here
2: to the end of the year. Not at the end of the year. I didn't even ask you, but you can Thanks. answer.
0: Thanks. <laughs> I'll take technology You're
2: and ask. all me.
3: you got to do is look at my <laughs> portfolio and you'll know why. Everything's much more in technology. The only real financial exposure I have is Citi, Bank of America. Those two names, because with Tim, I think the money centers are the place to be. But technology, I think, still has plenty of room to the upside. I will allow you
2: to say neither, Dan.
4: I was actually going to say pass. (laughs) I have nothing
2: (laughs) to tell you. You can't pass.
0: Pass. Can I give you a stat, please? Hi. Hi. I'm going to raise my hand, because apparently that works on this desk. (laughs) All right. If you look at the triple Qs, and again, you grab them against the, the XLF. XLF divided by triple Qs. Anyone can do that at home. XLF has underperformed the tech mark in the, last, in the last year by how much, Guy, would you say? Uh, 8%. Four. Do you think that's massive underperformance for higher growth companies that actually should be trading in a higher beta? A I don't multiple. think so. He gave shows. two homework assignments in the A block it's a gold of the show. Star. That is, that gold is impressive. Star. I, my hand. I can I raise my hand.
2: Coming up, it is a Bitcoin bonanza on Fast Money tonight. First, we are talking to Wall Street's new crypto king, Bart Smith from Susquehanna. This firm is taking Wall Street and crypto by storm. Then, we are sitting down with the SEC's Brett Redfern for his very first TV interview in his current role. This is the man who will set the tone for future crypto regulations. You won't want to miss either of these interviews. Plus, Musk speaks Tesla soars. The stock rallying nearly 10% for its best day in more than two years after the company's annual shareholder meeting last night. So what did Musk say to woo back investors? We'll explain. And later, buying at the highs is more and more stocks, sort of record highs. Yeah, sit up, Guy. How do you know if it's safe to get in? Guy Adami's yeah. got three simple steps. We are live at the NASDAQ Market Site in New York City's Times Square. Much more fast money right ahead. Welcome back. Tesla revving higher today. The stock soaring nearly 10% for its best day in two years. This after CEO Elon Musk took center stage at the annual shareholder meeting last night. Our very own Phil Lebeau is here in person for Whoa, a special of day. He's got all the Royalty. details, Phil. You know,
6: look, if you were a Tesla investor, this was everything you were hoping for last night. He was very upbeat, very calm. He didn't cut anybody off, uh, and he basically said, "Look." We're optimistic about where we are with the Model 3. And look at where the company has gone over the last several months in terms of Model 3 production. Back in early April, there were about 2,000 a a week was the the production rate on the Model 3. He said yesterday that they're at about 3,500 right now. And by the end of next month, they will likely be at the target of 5,000 per week for Model 3 production. And that's why Musk believes they are finally coming through what he considers a very hellish period. It's like, whew, this is like, I'll tell you, the most excruciating, hellish uh, several months I've maybe ever had. Um, and a lot of other people at Tesla. But, but I think we're getting there. Another reason why the stock was moving higher today is because of his guidance when it comes to financials. Gap profitable in the third quarter is his expectation. They also believe that they will be cash flow positive in the second half of this year. Probably quarter three and quarter four is what he says, but he didn't swear to either of those quarters. And then he said there will be an announcement soon on establishing a plant. It'll be a gigafactory battery production as well as a final assembly plant in China. And if you're looking at this saying, yeah, but can we really take him at his word, even Musk admits He uh, probably should have his, you know, you should sandbag a bit when it comes to his predictions in terms of what will happen in the future. I'll probably put some sandbag on future dates. That's probably wise. Um, But I I, I kind of
5: say when I I think it can occur, but then I'm typically optimistic about these things.
6: Um, But maybe less, hopefully less optimistic over time. I heard from a number of people who said, wait a second, if we can't count on you to give us accurate forecasts, why do we bake so much on it? You guys, it's been this way from the beginning with Forever. Tesla. Why is that and, even a question? And, and <laughs> I also don't believe anybody should take that and say, well, you know, I'm going to change my investment outlook on Tesla. I don't think it changes anything. If you believe in in where they are, you still believe in it. And if you think this guy is full of it, you, you know, that doesn't change either.
2: Part of the reason why Elon said that or Musk said that they that they could hit that target by the end of the month is a third assembly line that they started building two weeks ago is that actually up and running right now because two weeks i don't think it's actually running i think it's in the
6: process of being brought up and by the way their capacity at that plant they're packed in yeah so the question becomes you get that up and running what happens next because you're it's not like they're stopping right at five thousand. they they're going to try to continually increase their production over time what will they be able to do now? Some of that you can obviously do in manufacturing in any existing facility, increase the efficiencies and the rate, etc. But they are packed in tight in Fremont.
2: Yeah, and it also assumes that the battery supplies that those are in line two at the Gigafactory in Nevada. Correct. right? Yeah.
6: Correct. And there is also some assembly work being done at the Gigafactory in in Nevada, not final assembly, but some assembly, and then obviously everything is shipped down to Fremont. So.
5: I've been bullish. I've been right. I've been wrong. But this is the guidance they gave. Yes, it's basically the same guidance they gave a couple months ago in terms Correct. of profitability, in terms of cars. Why do you think? Why do you think the market reacted so favorably to what was basically a reiteration of previous guidance?
6: I think it's because he finally said, "Look, it's going to be next month." And you're right; it is a reiteration of what he said before. But if you listen to that conference call or you watch the webcast. There was a calmness about him, certainly was not there during the earnings call at all, when he was short and a little bit (laughs) off in terms of his answers. And I think you take that along with him once again saying we're going to hit 5,000. I think that's why people are saying, okay, we're good.
2: And you got to wonder if Wall Street finally believes that there is no need for a capital raise. I mean, he's been saying that for a long time. Well, that, he said it again.
6: That would be my question,
0: Phil. What's your sense? Because, you know, 2,270 cars in April means they're still burning cash. Correct. Uh, what's your sense on where they are there, and are they going to have to articulate something?
6: He says 5,000. They get to the 5,000, they go cash flow yeah. positive. So if they can truly hit it, you know, yep. in next month, they're cash flow positive for the second half of the year.
2: Phil, thank you. It's great to see you. Good in to
0: be person.
7: here Phil Royalty. Good to see have you. Here. I mean, he absolutely. kind of blows us
0: off usually. He's been in town and not come here. Yeah, I do.
2: <laughs> what do you feel? What do you feel about Tesla? Well, so I still think
3: you have to value this, and I know I get a disagreement every single time I say this, but it's a car company. Is it a car company? No, it's a tech company, and because it's a tech company, you gotta value it that way.
2: Still ahead. Tempted to buy Amazon. Before you do, Guy dami has got three simple steps to buying stocks at all-time highs. He will break it down. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. First in Business Worldwide. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast.
3: Cable Guy! Cable stocks are soaring. And according to a top analyst, the move could signal trouble for AT&T's bid for Time Warner. We'll explain. Plus, one major Wall Street firm is cashing in big on Bitcoin. And the man behind that push will be here to tell us how big the business can become when Fast Money returns.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Despite skepticism from the big regulatory powers that be, Wall Street's enthusiasm for crypto is heating up. Bob Pisani is breaking it down from the Sandler O'Neill Global Exchange Conference here in New York City. Hi, Bob.
1: Hello, Melissa. SEC Chair Jay Clayton spoke to us exclusively today at the Sandler O'Neill Conference. He made it clear that he supported the development of blockchain technology and even said it could be especially beneficial to the securities industry.
0: I think blockchain technology has tremendous promise for the securities industry, eliminating costs. I mean the, the cost of verification in the securities industry, incredibly high. If we can if we can make that more efficient, terrific. Yeah.
1: But the crypto community is eagerly waiting for clarification from the SEC on three important issues. First, whether ICOs, initial coin offerings, are securities and hence regulated by the SEC. Second, whether altcoins like Ether and Ripple are securities. And finally, what criteria must be met for the sec to approve bitcoin etfs we've been waiting for a couple of years about this clayton declined to comment on how the sec would rule on these issues but he made it clear that the industry would have to conform to existing rules and regulations regarding the sales of securities
0: i understand that there's a great deal of discussion about these crypto assets but again we're not gonna we're not gonna relax our rules based on the level of discussion. We need to know that the pricing is certain, we need to know that the assets are there, we need to know that it's gonna function as our retail investors would expect those products to function.
1: Finally, over the last few months, major Wall Street firms have been getting in on the crypto action. Goldman Sachs is set to launch its own Bitcoin trading operation, and reports are out just today that Fidelity is now looking to bulk up on hiring personnel for crypto projects and possibly build its own digital asset exchange. These steps will likely lend added credibility to the realm of crypto. Now, coming up very soon, don't go away, Brett Redfern, the head of trading and markets at the SEC, is going to be with us. This will be his first interview exclusively on CNBC. Melissa, back to you.
2: Yeah, we look forward to that, Bob. Thank you. See you then. Well, many Wall Street firms hammer out their initial plans for trading cryptocurrencies, one firm has been doing so for a while now, and they're set to dive even deeper into the crypto world. Bart Smith is the head of digital assets at Susquehanna, but here on Fast Money, we are calling him, really dubbing him now, Wall Street's new crypto king. Welcome, <laughs> crypto king. Thank you, <laughs> um, What are you trading right now? How much are you trading right now? And what's your ultimate goal?
7: So we've been active in the space for a number of years. We have a dedicated team of traders and, and technologists and ops and admin people. Um, we, we have been trading Bitcoin for primarily. But in 2017, as kind of the, the marketplace expanded, we expanded the number of coins that we were trading and the number of exchanges that we were providing liquidity mm-hmm. on. Um, and then in anticipation of the futures coming out, which didn't really come out with a, a tremendous amount of, of liquidity, but in, in April and certainly in May and June, trading somewhere on average of a couple hundred million dollars a day across CME and CFE futures combined, that's not retail, right? So so for institutions out there who, who want to buy something other than cash-settled Bitcoin futures, we're going to offer you know a small number of cryptocurrencies, virtual currencies, uh, call it four or five, that we feel like is consistent with the regulatory landscape that's out there.
2: So when you say consistent with the regulatory landscape, you mean ones that most people consider a commodity versus a security? And, yes. And how is that sort of influencing how you're building out this desk at a time when a lot of other people are doing so?
7: So, I mean, the, the, the regulatory uh, landscape is 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 real. And, and uh, I think there's a big debate publicly going on about whether there should be more or less regulation. And I think from our standpoint, it's really about regulatory clarity. And I think there's been a, a tremendous amount of focus on the SEC and Chairman Clayton's comments today and, and Ch- uh, Chairman Giancarlo at the CFTC. But it's really a whole host of other regulatory agencies out there because the ecosystem kind of expands beyond traditional financial assets. Um, I think that the, the, the clarity will allow institutions to come in more than anything else. The institutions don't like to invest into uh, uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we are just taking the most conservative approach that we can and, and make sure that we are you know, operating uh, as such going forward. Mark, give us a sense. What is the demand like? So you talk about all the stuff that really needs to happen
4: here, but you're a firm that does probably have thousands of clients and you trade actively with hundreds on a daily basis. Is part of your strategy getting ready because you think there's this, as our main man BK says, a wall of institutional money coming? And give us a sense for demand once you get more clarity around the regulatory.
7: So there's a a lot of conversations, and it's always difficult to to parse out if, if they're immediate uh, interest or, or you know, longer-term interest. So there's, there's a lot of plumbing that needs to be built to trade cryptocurrencies uh, that are, they're different than equities or fixed income, right? So, um, so in that regard, the conversations are real, and we're kind of building it out, and we've built a, out an institutional-grade platform that could scale very quickly. Should that switch get flipped, that that BK and others have talked about, uh, you know, what are the the things that are going to make that, you know, switch flip, and, and it's. It's the infrastructure, it's regulatory demand. It's really just a lot of education. And I think, I think a qualified custodian is something that's been well talked about. I think that would allow for ERISA assets and 40 Act assets to come in. Uh, frankly, you know, I think we've been very uh, uh, advocating for an ETF. We think it checks a lot of the boxes uh, for regulatory concerns, specifically as it relates to retail investors. Uh, and it checks a lot of boxes for institutional customers as far as custody and taxation and mm-hmm. anti-money laundering and know your client, all the things that, that are around it. And ETF checks a lot of those boxes. So Chairman Clayton has made his concerns very clear. And it's, it's up to us in the ecosystem to, to try to address those concerns of, of, that he stated in the you know, denial last year of the, uh, of the, right. the coin ETF.
2: Sort of bigger picture, Bart, when you see order flow come across your desk, how does it compare to what is going on in the equity markets? Is there a correlation or an inverse? I mean, what have you noticed?
7: So as, as far as, as, far as uh, a correlation, as far as price movements, we haven't seen, you know, much correlation at all. And, 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 and I think people look at very short-term uh, swings. People want to see
2: it as a sort of a gauge of market sentiment or appetite for risk.
7: It, it tends to be driven by different factors, right? Um, I, I would say that trading... Cryptocurrencies is way more analogous to other asset classes than you might think from a market maker's perspective, managing risk and understanding kind of the operational sides of it. But as far as kind of the investor demand for it and what drives uh, the Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrencies, we, we have yet to find you know, much of an analogy in the driver of it.
2: Right. I'm not doing any sort of correlation analysis or anything like that. But when you put the charts on top of each other, they look pretty similar when it comes to the S&P 500 and Bitcoin, but you don't see that. Yourself. You know, it's
7: just it's, it's a it's a much different uh, ownership, right? You know, it's 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 not an institu- institutionally driven marketplace uh, like the S&P 500 primary, you know, right. is the biggest driver there. So I think the the, in, the inputs to those movements are different. Um, you know, it is a risk on risk off. But I think the drivers of that aren't earnings or interest rates. It's regulatory. It's technological advancements. You know, it's, it's a whole host of other things that are out there.
2: You see volume pick up when prices are higher or, when pri- or does it not matter? Volume stays the same no matter, no matter no,
7: what. I no, think, I think generally uh, when, you know, when there, are, there are severe price movements in, in many asset classes, you tend to see the first, first reaction is liquidity tends to kind of dry up as people kind of freeze, right? You know, freeze, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know sh- should that persist in, in, in ongoing, that, that tends to intensify. So I don't think in that. What are you seeing
2: that- here with Bitcoin sort of uh, in this range?
7: Well, it's been, you know, it's the world, it's, it's a pretty wide range, right? So, uh, so yeah. in the last couple of months, the world has told you that it's worth more than 6,000, right? It gets down to 6,000, people buy it, and then it's worth less than 9,000, you know? And it, we find ourselves kind of in the middle of that range today, and that's where it's been kind of knocking, knocking back and forth. And, you know, what is the catalyst that creates that breakout up or down? Um, there's a lot of technicians out there that are probably better suited to, to, to uh, opine on that. But that's, that's kind of where we are in that range, and we're right in the middle of it today.
2: Bart, thanks for stopping by. Thank you very much. What do you think?
4: Well, it's really interesting to see these guys have been at the forefront of a lot of different uh, new asset classes, and it sounds like that they're going to be very systematic about doing it in line with all the regulatory. And so once you get more framework around that, you're going to see the institutions come in. It's going to kind of correspond with all of this custody and all this stuff ready to go. So to me, that's the bullish uh, That's the most bullish case, right, is that the institutions are going to come in and that's yeah. going to be the catalyst.
0: Well, and an institution that's willing to put its own capital at work.
4: I mean, in other words, right. I think that's, right. that's a big part of this. And that's kind of a
0: throwback to the old Wall Street, which, you know, it's one of the big issues with markets today is that institutions haven't really uh, put a lot of capital at risk. All
2: right. Well, Bitcoin is sure to be a hot topic tomorrow on Squawk Box when billionaire investor Warren Buffett and J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon will be in their first TV interview, joint TV interview. That's tomorrow starting at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, more Bitcoin. Don't miss our exclusive interview with uh, Brett Redfern from the SEC. He is the man who will set the tone for the future of crypto regulations on Wall Street. It could be market moving, and that is later this hour. Plus, how do you know when it's safe to buy its stock at all-time highs? Guy Dami's got three simple rules. He'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks are soaring as more and more names hit all-time highs. But if you think you missed your chance to jump in, fear not. Guy Adami's at the plaza with a breakdown of how to buy at record highs in a segment we like to call The More You Know. Guy.
5: Hi, Mel. It's a good segment. I love the music. It's just, it's, it's just nice tones. It calms me down, which is important, which is why we're going to talk about this. The first one, I'm very bad at. I always focus on the negative. You know who's good at this? Pete Najarian. Sometimes you just got to focus on good news. It's not always bad news. When the markets are all-time highs, don't look for reasons why things should go lower. Maybe they will continue higher. So change the framework of how you look at the market. Focus on the good, not always the bad. Number two valuations matter what does that mean well look Boeing has been making all-time highs but over the last couple of weeks over the last couple of months guess what's happened their valuation actually went from 29 almost 30 times forward earnings down to 21 times forward earnings so sometimes companies at all-time highs grow into their valuation understand the end game this is like a Netflix thing what is the end game in my opinion the end game for Netflix is world domination, right? It's not about the money they spend. It's not about the cash burn. It's not about the fact that they don't really make all that much money. It's the fact that they are rolling up every possible sub in the world, and they're doing it better than everybody else. So instead of focusing on certain things, try to look bigger picture. Focus on the end game, which is why a company like Netflix continue to make all-time highs. What is a great example of all of this? Slide it, Earl. I'll show it to you. It is... It Watch, Slide it yourself. Apple, there you go. now again, I am not some crazy Apple bull at all, I'm not pretending to be, but Apple checks all those boxes and think about the end game for Apple, they are moving from a company that makes hardware that goes into a services business, so they have an end game. Valuations, their valuation continues to seemingly go down as the stock price goes higher. And you know what, we can always focus on the bad news with Apple. Maybe they're not selling as many phones as they should, but you gotta focus on the good news. And what's happened over this time, I'm gonna try to draw a nice little line, as the stock continues to make new highs. So sometimes you can be scary buying at the top, but you know what, sometimes it means things are just going higher, Mel. Good, back to you. That's
2: a great line. A
5: good-looking line guy. I mean, that and is so straight. You, you straight as an A Quick question, though. When, yeah. when,
0: you, when you're buying your app at all-time highs, oh, uh, are you legging into this trade, or is it something you're actually putting all the capital to work at once? Uh, Do you set some levels below the market? I'm curious how you would be um, putting this trade so on.
5: So let's say you flew in from Pluto today. Yes, which I did. And you've never been in the stock market. Don't put all your Plutonian eggs in one basket. Dip your Plutonian toe into the water. So, yes. You could start maybe today, maybe layer in over a period of time. That period of time is different for everybody. But to just jump in willy-nilly, nobody likes willy, and nobody likes nilly. Tim,
0: or, I like milly, vanilly, vanilly. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, hey, Dad and Ron.
5: I got uh, a quick question
3: for you guys. So, is there any one thing that really is the trigger for you? Like when you're diagnosing something like this, you're looking at a stock at all-time highs. Is there one thing where you say, you know what, that's the most important thing that I'm looking at right now. That's why I'm buying Yeah,
5: I think the most important thing, in my opinion, is valuation. I think it always does come back to valuation at a certain point. So you look, for example, at a Boeing, and that stock, until recently, had been a parabolic move up. But if you look at their guidance a couple months ago, they gave guidance in such a way that it took their valuation from what was a rich 29 times forward earnings to a reasonable 21. But if that company didn't continue to raise their guidance at a certain point, valuation matters. So to answer your question, I think valuation out of those three is the most important. Mm.
2: The more you know. Thanks, guys. The more you know. La, la, la. Brilliant. La. (laughs) Coming up, the head of the SEC trading and markets division, Brett Redfern, will be here in just a few to talk. Regulations, ICOs, and much more. Could be a market-moving event, so stay tuned. Plus, deal or no deal, media stocks soaring today. And Fast Money friend Craig Moffat says it could be signaling trouble for the AT&T Time Warner decision next week. We will explain when Fast Money returns. We are back with two important questions. Are cryptos commodities or securities? And how will the SEC regulate ICOs? Let's try and get some answers to that right now. Head over to the San O'Neill Global Exchange Conference in New York City. Bob Pisani is there. He is sitting down with Brett Redfern in his first interview ever as a director of the SEC's Division of Trading and Markets. Take it away, Bob.
1: Thanks very much, Melissa. Brett, we've known each other many years, but this is our first interview in your role as Division Director of uh, Trading and Markets at the SEC. Let me just pick up on the whole Bitcoin uh, and blockchain issue. We spoke to Chairman Clayton this morning. He made it very clear that he was supportive of the concept of the blockchain, but he was not going to change the definition of a security to suit anybody's interests. When can we expect some clarification on some important issues? For example, are ICOs, securities, Is alt currencies altcoins like uh, ripple and ether uh, securities as well w- w- give us some idea of when we might be able to get
8: clarification you know w- one thing that I've realized uh, when looking at these issues is that it's not as obviously as obvious as you would think right so we've had a number of different products that we've looked at and We've, we've created this prong test, the Howie test, where people look at the different characteristics and have to determine it's a security. And quite frankly, not all of them are obvious on its face exactly what it is. So we continue to try to clarify where possible. I think that there will be more statements coming forth from the commission on this. But in the meantime, we're highly encouraging any market participant who's involved in the space to really look at these products and, and run that test and decide whether or not they meet the prongs of being defined as a security. The chairman declined to say whether Ether or Ripple were actual securities, but is it fair to say that this is likely ultimately going to be litigated in the courts? Uh, it's unclear to me whether or not that's going to be litigated, and I don't want to speak about any specific products, and I do believe that there will be statements on at least one of those products forthcoming in the future about you know providing some more more guidance on that. Um, so. I don't know what the the likelihood is of litigation, though, on those specific projects. So, will we be still six months, a year down
1: the road? I guess the the community keeps asking us when will we get some clarification?
8: Will we know a year from now? Will, Will these issues be resolved? I mean, you know, I think the messaging from the chairman and the commission has been pretty clear that when he looks at ICOs, there's a number of these products where he has said they do meet the definition of a security. And by meeting the definition of a security, there's a lot of things that go along with that. There's broker-dealer registration. There's, are you trading on a registered exchange or an ATS? And so I think that, you know, it is it behooves all of the attorneys and accounts and everybody else out there looking at these things to run that test.
1: Has, has anything actually happened? Has anybody actually come forward? Has an ICO come forward to the SEC, an alt currency, an alt coin come forward, uh, a, a crypto exchange?
8: and come forward and say, we want to register as a security? Has anybody done that? So we're looking at this both on the security level. We're also looking at broker-dealer registration, and we're also looking at exchange registration for people who are trading these coins. In trading in markets, we're primarily dealing with broker-dealer registration and venue regulation. And I can tell you this, that there are a number of so-called exchanges out there that are trading ICOs that... I would think that we would see more registrations as an ATS or as an exchange. That sounds than like a no, there's is, there isn't anybody coming forward. We're we're I think that we are uh, underwhelmed by the enthusiasm <laughs> for coming within the regulatory structure right now. <laughs> That's an interesting answer. Let me just go,
1: move forward. Walk us forward a couple of years from now, because the chairman made it clear he's not opposed to the development of this market. Suppose somebody was to come forward an exchange and say we want to register as an exchange, and we want to trade 15 coins for example. There's no infrastructure that exists to, to do this right now that satisfies your needs. For example, how do you determine a price? How do you do clearing and determine things have been transferred? What, under what system is it, is it set up? You would have
8: to essentially create an entire superstructure to allow that. Is that well, right? Well, you know, I mean, look, there's some things that exist, right? So, the registering as a broker dealer, it's pretty clear what has to happen there. Registering as an exchange or as an alternative trading system, which is the exception to the exchange where somebody might have to do that, that is there, right? And there actually have been some folks who have come forth and started the process of putting in a form, what well, we call uh, an ATS form, so that they could conceivably be an ATS. Like I said, I think that we would like to see more of those. On the broker dealer side, there are also some uh, participants who have looked into broker-dealer registration issues as well for potentially acting as a broker-dealer for some of these securities, but that doesn't mean that the overall infrastructure is is ready for. Uh, well, you know, that's fully funny. Ready well, you're the guy that's going to actually set up that kind of infrastructure, I, I presume. You're the head of
1: trading and markets pricing for example uh, you know the pricing in, in these coins is a, it goes all over the place right now in the securities market the stock market there's the national best bid and offer an NBBO there's the regulations for how the price and uh, bid and ask happen i presume that would have to be developed for coins as well am i
8: correct i mean when we look at fair markets fair and efficient markets you would like to think that you know what the best price is so if you have a product where on this venue it's quoted here and on that venue it's quoted there and the prices are are all over the map then you have to ask what is a fair price in that stock understanding the price also helps you to understand best execution customers want best execution when they're trading things if they don't know the prices how do they know the best execution? You seem to be saying that
1: you do need to develop some kind of pricing mechanism that everyone can
8: understand. I think it's early days, and you know we're looking at a, a, a marketplace that is evolving and still a largely unregulated space. And we're we're interested in encouraging the development into a, a more sound regulatory structure. How concerned
1: are you about market manipulation? We we've, we've heard about these; they seem to float out there. These these concerns. This is at the core of what you do: protecting against. Market manipulation.
8: How do you deal with that? I can't. Space? I cannot under uh, underestimate or understate our concern about this. You're, you have venues which are trading products where investors have put a lot of their money. Where it is unclear whether or not there are clear standards for protecting against market manipulation. We're talking things like spoofing, talking about pump and dump schemes, talking about fraud. Right. So there's a, a whole set of issues that that could potentially arise in this space without being within a regulatory structure. You're the man that's going to set this all up. Would
1: you promise to come back and keep us up to date on what the SEC is doing? I certainly will. Thank you very much. Brett Redfern is the head of the Division of Trading and Markets for the SEC, and this is first interview and exclusive with us at CNBC. Mm -hmm. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right. Thank you very much, Bob. Bob Pisani. And given all the regulation talk around the crypto space, we couldn't help but bring in our own crypto baller, BK, to weigh in on what Brett Redfern just said. What, what stood out to you? There's
9: a uh, lot there. I, I, there. There's a lot there. So the challenge that, that uh, Mr. Redfern has and all regulators has, we have a global asset mm-hmm. that's subject to local regulation. Right. right. So that's what everybody's wrestling with. Not only that, what stood out to me is the hybrid nature of these assets. Okay. So if you're doing an ICO and I'm giving somebody money to start their software, maybe that's, maybe that's a security. But once that network is live and once that coin is being used as effectively as commodity or oil within the machine then maybe that's a commodity. So I think what we're going to look at, and what we're looking at, and Chairman Giancarlo said some really good things about this, is kind of a hybrid approach right. to these assets.
2: Well, I mean, that's exactly the dilemma that Ethereum faces, correct? I mean, Ethereum Precisely. had these coins initially, but now it's its own network functioning, and it's more like a commodity at this point, the token, either. That's right. And
9: in fact, it's called gas when you spend right. Ethereum to run the network. And so we'll have to have some standardization around what does it mean to be a decentralized network? You know, how, much does it, how many nodes do you have to be decentralized? Decentralized and some definitions around that. It wouldn't surprise me if the SEC came out and said something like, you know, Ethereum might have been a security at one point, but today it's a commodity.
2: Um, I'm so glad that Bob asked about market manipulation because there are Bitcoin whales out there. There are ICO whales out there when it's a, a handful of holders owning the vast majority of a single uh, asset. So Bitcoin, what, 40% of Bitcoin held by a 1,000 wallets or so? Some, Roughly something, something yeah, around that, something right? Something around that, yeah. Con- Who's to say that nobody's uh, dumping it altogether, colluding and, and then dumping the... I, we've seen it in every single market,
9: right? I mean, yeah. we've seen we've seen it in libel, we've seen it in currencies, we see seen it everywhere. So, you know, it, it wouldn't surprise me to see it happening here. Um, you know, of the Bitcoin whales, a lot of those are the hodlers,
4: right? They've had it forever. They're never going to sell it. Because is there a risk that the SEC is kind of slow to regulate and there's other countries who kind of, kind of take up that... Charge, and we see a lot of the ecosystem go offshore.
9: Yeah, you, and you're already we're seeing, seeing that. seeing it with ICOs, right? You're right? already seeing that. So Asia is huge. I can't understate that enough, how big the adoption level in Asia is. And, you know, what's happening is the ICOs that we've looked at this year said, you know what, we're not going to touch U.S. investors. They've raised $6 billion this year, and most of that has been offshore. All, nothing here. It's unfortunate because some of the best developers in the world are here in the U.S., but all the adoption's happening in Asia.
5: You know what I bar- take away bar- from that? I mean, bar- you have to address it. I mean, you see that spread behind Pisani during that whole thing? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's, it's they should have, like, croissant coins. Sock mm. could list it. It'd be fantastic. It's funny
2: because Bob has been there all day, and it's interesting to see how the food evolves throughout the day. <laughs> so it's still there. It's true. There's <laughs> coffee in the morning, carbs, midday snacks uh, and cookies, car- and then at yeah. the end of the day. You job know, you by Sandler. Fingers. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what are we talking about? I don't know. The croissant behind all right. Pisani during <laughs> the I mean, Brian Kelly, our BK baller. Bitcoin baller, I should say. Yeah, BK, ballers BK, BK baller is BK good, too. Takes. Coming BK up, ballers. media stocks surging today, and one top analyst says they could be sending a message about the AT&T Time Warner deal. We will explain. Plus, let's get a look at our new Kramer cam. There he is talking to the Qualcomm CEO. And no, your eyes are not deceiving you. That is a kramer at the top of your screen. Be sure to catch that full interview and much more on Mad Money tonight at the top of the hour. Meantime, much more Fast Money still ahead. Check out the media stocks soaring today, Dish posting its best day in two years, Comcast soaring 4%, Disney and Time Warner also catching a bid, and top media analyst Craig Moffat says it could be signaling trouble ahead for the AT&T Time Warner decision next week. Why? Well, here's what Moffitt wrote in email to one of our producers today. If AT&T loses, then the speculation will start that AT&T will try to buy Dish instead, and I think that's bananas. But I don't doubt the market would think it, even if it's wrong. And if at and loses, then Comcast can't buy Fox and maybe would drop its pursuit of Sky 2, both of which the market hates. So what could this mean for the media space? Well, you what know, I think some hard.
3: of these names, particularly Disney, stands out for me. That was a pitch talk for me not that terribly long ago. Uh, I don't know how much upside I still see in Disney. I think the ESPN did get that boost because of the potential of gambling and all the rest of that. It, I don't think that's going to save ESPN, but it certainly helps. So they're going to still have to absolutely execute on the Disney side.
0: Outside of Dish, it just doesn't make sense that that there would be a bid to the sector. Sorry.
2: All right, Dan's saw some interesting action in Time Warner today. So why don't you break Yeah, that so
4: up. the judge is going to rule on this next week, June 12th. And uh, options volume is a little positioning here going on in front of this. It was about one and a half times average daily volume. There's one trade that caught my eye today when the stock was trading at 93.70. It looked like a sale of 10,000 of the June 97 half calls. They traded at $1.10. And when you do some of the math on this, this could be an override against a long stock position. With AT&T all the way down at 33 bucks, the deal price is probably around 100 bucks. So if you think that there's less than a 50/50 chance that this thing gets approved next week, selling calls against your long-time Warner stock is probably a good trade because the stock really shouldn't trade much over 100 if it does get affirmed.
2: All right, for more options action, check out the full show that's Friday 5:30 p.m. Eastern time up next final trades. Trade time, Pete Nadarian.
0: Been in this stock and I'm back in again after selling it just a week or so ago. Hilt, it's going higher. Gideon Ambassador. Hmm. We talked Money Center Banks. If you want to go for the cheapest, Citibank is that. I think it is
4: levered to this economy.
2: Yeah, Nathan.
4: Yeah, I think Tim's wrong and I think you can sell the XLF. <laughs>
2: that new? I mean, Tim's wrong. We
7: don't have time for this. <laughs> Guy that, folks. It was a spirited, was a spirited, was a spirited, a spirited show. show. Don't you think? Did spirited you enjoy show. yourself? Yes.
4: Fill the bowl,
5: Always. Man. Uh, CNBC BK, the what do we call the other guy? Like the, the new
2: crypto king. Chicago
5: Mercantile
2: Exchange. <laughs> <laughs> <Look at laughs> great call. Right, Pete You got, got the and that
3: Tesla, the whole thing, and CME. Big stuff.
2: Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I'm Melissa Lee. get back here tomorrow at five for more fast meantime. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets?